Luckily, I was the one in the back seat. You know how that goes, right? First you take care of them, and then the older you get, they take care of you, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Whew. This is an awesome place. Uh, yes, it is an awesome place. I am absolutely delighted to be here tonight, and uh, my daughters and I, they've been mentioned several times tonight, uh, Cami and Carly are my two beautiful daughters that are with me, and uh, they are both powerful women of God, so um, if you need a word from the Lord or you need some prayer, they will be around uh, for the next few days with me, and I encourage you to uh, let them minister to you. Um, my daughter Cami uh, is leaving in less than two weeks. Uh, she is going to be going on an 11-month missions trip to 11 nations in 11 months. Uh, She'll be backpacking it, living in a tent. Uh, Her first trip is she's going to uh, Colombia to work in the prisons there. So uh, I'm real glad that she's got a praying grandmother and praying aunts and uncles and a whole uh, church full of folks that will be praying for her. It's going to really help me out probably more than her, <laughs> right? So and my daughter uh, Carly is a worship leader in our ministry, and she's a part of our healing center as well and uh, on our staff. My son is the head of our worship team, and my husband and I co-lead uh, Real Living Ministries. It's an apostolic center in Ohio, and we have Unleashed Healing Center as well, and our healing center is ministering to people all over the world via Skype. That's an amazing technology that we're uh, taking full advantage of, and and we get the chance to minister to people and see them receive healing, uh, body, soul, and spirit um, through the Internet. Yeah, it's really cool. So um, that's actually how um, I ended up here. Uh, Our ministry, Unleashed Healing Center, is on Robert Henderson's uh, national website. Uh, We're one of his hubs. How many of you know who Robert Henderson is? Uh, He's the guy who does the courts. And so I was very honored because their first choice to come and speak on the courts was Robert Henderson. Uh, His schedule was not available. So I was next. I am, like, totally honored to be uh, here speaking uh, to you about the courts for the next two nights. Um, it's a, it's an absolute uh, amazing... How many of you are familiar with the understanding of the courts, just so I know where everybody's at? Um, when we talk about entering into the courts, doing warfare through the courts, can I see that? Who's, who's with me on that? Okay, okay, so I, I want to make sure I, I'm, I'm tracking with everybody... Um, but before I get into the word tonight, I was in worship and I said, Father, what, what's on your heart for this group of people tonight? And he began to speak to me. Um, I saw two angels standing in the back of the room and one was all dressed in pink and the other one in baby blue. Um, they didn't look like the normal kind of angels that I see and so I was like, Father, what? what's happening here and he said they're actually from the great cloud of witnesses yes not awesome 
and he said they represent all the unborn children. Um, and he said they're here tonight specifically for someone in the room. So I'm not sure if they are here with someone or for someone. So what I mean by that is, that is there anyone here that is already presently involved with or has a desire and a passion to stop abortion? Anybody here? Okay, so I want you to stand. All right, stand. All right, <clears throat> girls, you are already working in that? Are you working... Okay, very good. And what's your name? Terry. And can you stand too? And what's your name? Debbie. And Debbie, are you already working with the issue? No, but you just have a heart to pray. Okay. So they're here because the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said that these angels are on commission. They're, they're on a mission. Uh, and they're here to help this state become influential and a part of this fight uh, to see the abortion issue end. Yeah, awesome. And so they are, they are sent here for you, ladies. Um, I wasn't sure whether they came in with someone because somebody was already here and a part of it and knowing you know, what, what their role was. So I sense that they're here for you, uh, meaning that this is a new assignment. Uh, he's going to take your prayer to a higher level. Uh, he's going to uh, release a greater level of anointing in prayer. Uh, your prayer is going to go from what I like to say uh, a shotgun type prayers to laser prayers. So you're going to get very specific things to pray about. They are here, uh, these angels, I keep looking back there because I can see them. They're standing back there at the door. They're going to go home with you guys, okay? And they're on assignment to help you pray into whatever it is that's on the heart of the Father for Vermont, specifically concerning the abortion issue. Is anybody in the room aware of what's happening uh, statewide as far as abortion? Uh, can you speak into that a little bit? Do you have some insight, Kathy? Awesome. Are either of you ladies involved with that? Okay, so I encourage you to find out about that, maybe get involved, because I feel like these an angelic beings are going to get involved with that uh, and help expedite this and push it along. How many of you are ready for angelic power to like make our intercession a lot easier? <laughs> right? So I'm very grateful they are here. So uh, can I pray for both you ladies that the Lord would just uh, release that over you? So Father, I thank you for both these women. I thank you for the call of God and the burden and prayer that you have given them for the unborn child, for the aborted child, um, for those who have uh, had their destiny stolen from them. Oh, that's the other thing they said is they're here um, to restore lost destinies. So of children that have been aborted specifically out of this state, 
Um, those are lost destinies that need to be rebirthed. Okay? So, Father, I release that over uh, this state, that those destinies would be rebirthed, that they would be reassigned, uh, and that they would be fulfilled. And, Lord, I thank you for what you're doing in these women as well as the other intercessors in this state concerning uh, this issue. And we thank you, Lord, that you are going to use Vermont. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you will use Vermont as a turnaround state. And I pray that you would empower those who have been praying. And, Lord, anyone who is suffering from hope deferred, uh, and their heart has grown sick, and they are weary in their well-doing concerning this issue. Lord, I just pray that these angelic forces will uh, restore them, heal them, and get them back uh, in the prayer closets. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, awesome. All right, so there are two other angels that are here, and they're in the front of the room. Um, and they are wisdom and discretion. Uh, they are here to release wisdom and discretion. Ah, uh, yes. So specifically, wisdom has crowns uh, that she's here to place uh, on some of your heads tonight. Um, I'm not sure exactly who that is, but I'm trusting that God will reveal that to you. The scripture verse that God gave me concerning wisdom is Proverbs chapter 9. Um, it's, it says that wisdom establishes her seven pillars and she prepares her table and she invites people in. Uh, I believe the seven pillars represent the seven DNA gifts okay, of Romans chapter 12. Um, how many of you are familiar with the DNA gifts, the seven DNA gifts? Um, I have some materials on the back table if you're interested in knowing more about that. It's one of my life's um, messages is to teach the body of Christ about the seven DNA gifts of Romans chapter 12, how to get the church working together, understanding the different gifts. So often we are burdened and frustrated by one another because we don't understand the differences. Uh, I'll give you an example. I have the DNA gift of being prophetic. Now, that does not make me necessarily a prophet. That's in a completely different gift. And I'm getting a little off track, but I feel like I need to say this. You know, there are three gift lists in Scripture. Each part of the Trinity, each person of the Trinity, has their own gift list. So the DNA gifts are given by the Father, and they are gifts that we possess that are a part of our character, our nature. That's why they're often referred to as the DNA gifts or the motivational gifts. Um, they are given to us, and it's something that we are to use according to our level of faith, which means that we can improve and get better at it as we determine to do that. So one thing about the prophetic gift, if you have the DNA gift of prophetic, you are an impatient person. Okay. Um, prophetic people that have the DNA gift of prophetic um, want everything done yesterday. Um, they prophesy mountaintops. They see mountaintops, meaning 
They could see where they are and where they need to be. They could see where you are and where you need to be. <laughs> and everybody, where everybody needs to be. And all they need to do in their mind is speak it. And then they're going to look at you and go, and you aren't doing that now. Why? Um, excuse me. See, they don't see this extreme valley that exists between the mountaintops between where we are and where we need to be. That prophetic temperament is impatient and it only prophesies mountaintops. It doesn't see the valley. Well, I happen to be married to a giver. Givers love the valley, Betty. Oh, they just love to chill out in the valley. So if you don't understand those differences, see, when I married my husband, he's a banker. A prophet and a banker. Hmm. You know, my thing was, you don't live by faith, babe. And he would say to me, neither do you. You put your faith in my credit card. And he'd be like, I want you to be faithful. Mm. See, those are, those are very different ways and perspectives. Both come from God. Both are gifts. But if we don't understand those differences, we don't benefit from one another. Instead, we irritate each other. Right? So, wisdom is here passing out crowns that has the seven pillars on them. Okay? She is here to release that understanding of the seven DNA gifts and how those gifts work together in tandem, growing in the knowledge and the wisdom of that. Is there anybody in this room who has already had a burden for that or a desire to learn that or I'm speaking this and you're going, ooh, ooh, I need to know that. Anybody? Okay, why don't you guys stand up. Okay, very good. Um, so, girls, take a look at these folks standing up. Okay, I want you to give them a free copy of my DNA test. Okay. Um, back on the table, uh, I have a test with lots of information about the seven DNA gifts, so I needed to partner with Wisdom and pass, you, pass along to you what she's given to me. So um, you can have a free copy of that. There's also, I have a journal that goes with it that if you would like to uh, invest in this and make a, make a donation into this uh, Wisdom, you can do that as well, but I want to give you um, the test as a blessing to you. So I bless you right now in the name of Jesus with the crown of the seven pillars of wisdom that you would gain a supernatural revelation and understanding of these gifts, how they work, how they operate. Whoa. Woo. Whoa. Ooh.
And I just feel like the Lord is releasing. I know last night um, you guys heard a phenomenal word on forgiveness. Uh, if you don't have, I'm sorry, what's the gentleman's name that was? Wes? If you have not, those of you who are standing, if you've not gotten his book on the forgiveness, I encourage you to invest in that because I think that's going to be a tandem message for you guys um, because there needs to be a lot of forgiveness that goes on in the body of Christ because we have failed to understand these gifts and how they operate and so we have we have been dishonorable to each other, to God, and to ourselves. Okay. Thank you. And then um, discretion is here as well. Carly, we, we, I think we need another one right here too. I'm sorry, I didn't see you standing, but I apologize for that. I bless you with that. Discretion is here. Now, discretion is an interesting um, gift to be given. Uh, discretion is the ability to hold your tongue uh, and the ability to release it at the right time. It is a fitly word spoken in due season. That is what discretion is. And the Bible says that wisdom and discretion work together. So, um, but specifically, with, uh, discretion is the ability to not speak when you shouldn't speak, even when you want to speak. <laughs> or to speak when you should speak, even when you don't want to speak. <laughs> okay? I happen to... Uh, Be a, a, a prophet. God has called me to that office. And for many, many years, God was calling me to that. And at the same time, everybody else around me in my life was telling me to sit up, shut up, sit down and wear beige. Just blend in. You know... Don't stand out in the crowd. You're, you get yourself into trouble, you know. And I did. I did because, I mean, I was a prophet way before I knew I was a prophet. So, And before I knew anything about being a prophet. And so I made all kinds of mistakes. When I teach on the gift of prophecy, I have a toy machine gun that sits in the center of the table every time I teach on it. Because if you have not gotten any good training on that gift, you could pick that gift up and just like if you haven't gotten any training using a machine gun, well, you might take your target out, but you're going to take out the whole side of the building as well. <laughs> okay? So um, I feel like discretion is here uh, in preparation for something, Kathy and, and Lonnie, I feel like um, something really big is coming. Like I, I feel like this locomotive train, like, you know, something big is coming to Vermont that is going to shift the narrative in this state dramatically. Um, 
your team is going to need wisdom and discretion because there are going to be times when they are going to need to speak and they're not going to want to. And then there are going to be times when they're going to want to say something and the Holy Spirit is going to need to be able to shut their mouth. Um, it's going to be key to whatever the, the dynamic of, of the shift is. Um, and so I feel like this is coming. Um, and so who would like to have that impartation tonight? Okay, stand. Yes. Who wouldn't want to? Not sure why everybody didn't stand on that. Yeah, discretion is a very powerful thing. Guys, the power of life and death is in the tongue. Betty and I, this, oh, this lady here, if you haven't met this lady here, she's something else. I, I, I talked to her for five minutes. I looked to my girls and I said, when I grow up, I want to be just like Betty. <laughs> so uh, Betty and I were talking earlier and she was talking about how, you know, the Lord showed her. She said one thing that opened up a portal in her body and gave her an illness. And when she repented for it, it went away. And I said to her, you know, Betty, that's because you have such a powerful anointing on your words. See, and, and that's the key. This ministry here has a very powerful anointing. You're not going to be able to get away with what other people could get away with. See, when the glory comes, we all love to sing the songs about the glory. The glory, the glory. You know, when the body of Christ first got started in the book of Acts and the glory of God fell upon the church and thousands got saved in one day, one husband and wife team walked in and wasn't completely honest with how much money they put in the offering. And they dropped dead. See, when the glory shows up, it's time to get real serious. Like my mother says, there's no more playing patty cake in the holy water. See, when the glory shows up, guys, we've got to be walking in holiness or we just might open a portal because we've said one thing and you end up being told you've got leukemia because of it. See, no, 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 no. We want the power. We've got to be responsible with it. We need wisdom and discretion right now. So I bless you with discretion, with power in your words, and wisdom in your heart. Power in your words and wisdom in your heart. God says you pray. You pray and when you pray, I see demons scattering in hell. They are frightened of you. And, and that's why some stuff is going on. That's why some stuff is going on. Because you have gone to a new place in God. And you have become a bigger threat than you've been before. 
and you are stirring some stuff up. So God says, do not grow weary in your well-doing. This is not the time to think you have failed in some way. Uh Uh-uh. God says, wisdom in your heart and discretion in your words. Say way more to God than you're saying to the people you're concerned about. Say it to God. You know, one time I was before the Lord and I was reading Amos that says, God is looking for someone to stand in the gap. You can be seated. God is looking for someone who will stand in the gap before him. And I said, oh, Father, thank you for encouraging me with this word and showing me that I'm that person that's standing in the gap because I am. I I know what you want, and I am quick to make sure that people understand and know what you want, God. I am that person standing in the gap before you, God. And he said, yeah, no. He said, read the scripture again. See, that passage says God is looking for someone who will stand in the gap before him. Sometimes we're standing in the gap, but we're not facing the right direction. God's not looking for spiritual gossips that will go tell everybody his secrets. He's looking for confidants, people he can trust that he can share his heart with, and he can tell you things he can't tell anybody else. Listen, I traveled all the way from Ohio. For two days, my daughters and I drove in the rain to get here. And let me tell you something. I would much rather be in this room with a handful of people who know what God is up to than be invited to stand in front of a group of a thousand people who are clueless. No, that deserves a clap. For you, not me. For you. See, you've got to know you're in the know. If you're in this ministry, you are on the cutting edge of what Holy Spirit is doing. He considers you his confidant. That's pretty cool. But sometimes we get ourselves in trouble because we act like Joseph. See, Joseph's first mistake was he wore his coat of many colors in front of his brothers. See, sometimes we need a little discretion. We need to know when not to tell our glory stories. Because people, you tell them in certain circles, and they look at you like you've got three eyeballs. You know, see, that's what I'm talking about. So, Father, we are thankful that we are part of your team, your inner circle, your confidants. 
thank you that you have chosen us and equipped us and empowered us. And Lord, I ask that you would bless us in this hour with wisdom and discretion. That we would hear the word of the Lord tonight. That we would step into this mystery that's being revealed in this hour about the courts and how to step into that with wisdom and discretion. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so, first of all, I want to start, not at the end of my message. All right, there we go. So, I was praying and asking the Lord what was on his heart for you guys here in Hartford, Vermont. And your area code is 05047. Now, I'm somebody who loves numerology. I study the Hebrew alphabet, and so I'm sure you guys know something about that since you guys are on board with the whole you know, uh, Hebrew calendar and all of that. Okay, so just real quickly... The number zero in the Hebrew calendar means potential for divine intervention because there's emptiness. There's nothing there. It's based on the first time the number is used in Genesis when the earth was void and empty. That's the number zero. And the Spirit of the Lord hovered over the earth. Okay, So interesting that in your area code, the number five is in the middle of the two zeros. I know this state of Vermont has a double dose of needing God's divine intervention. Okay, It's his grace. Five is the number for grace. So right there in the middle of all this nothingness that needs divine intervention is God's grace. The number four is the number for human, earthly perspective. Okay, four is the four corners of the earth. It's the number for earthly perspective. And then seven is the number of divinity. God's divine number. So again, you have the four, okay, which is earthly perspective, zero, emptiness, needing something, and it's sandwiched right between divine grace. How awesome. That's where God finds you. That's your zip code in the spirit realm. Okay, you are a refuge for the rebels. I was having an interesting conversation today that um, with with Kathy that kind of confirms she's been sharing with me some things that are going on here in this state, and I think you all are probably not surprised by the fact that you are a refuge for some rebels around here. Why won't that stay there? 
Which oh, there we go. Huh. Oh. I lost it. <laughs> yes. Sorry about that, Sean. All right, so all right, so again, 05047 is the bridge of divine intervention and grace. Okay, that is a bridge. I took it off the internet right here uh, in Hartford. So you are the bridge of divine intervention and grace. I'm hoping this is going to... Ah, Hartford means deer crossing. Now here's the word of the Lord for you guys. In Psalms 42, it says, this to the chief musician, Maschella. I don't know what, how to, if I'm saying that right. But it means a poem of deep intercession. So David is about to give a poem of deep intercession for the sons of Korah. Korah were the, was the man who led the rebellion. So this is a deep intercession for the rebels. Okay? As the heart or the deer pants after the water brooks, so pants my soul after thee, O God. Now, do you see those deer running into the water there? You know, most of us probably think, and it does mean that the deer, when they're Hungry, thirsty, run hard to find the water. But in actuality, that's not the fullness of what that means. Deer run hard for the water when they are being chased by a predator. Because the water, they need to get to the water to kill the scent. So their, pre- their predator can't find them and hunt them down. Hmm. Now just let that sink in for a minute. Hartford is the deer crossing. Now see, deer symbolically represent people who need more wisdom and discretion. Because deer... Well, you know the old saying, you look like a deer caught in the headlights. A car's heading for the deer and they stand there and look dumb. You know, they, they are, they're not quick on their feet in that regard. And deer also are very skittish. I live in the woods and if deer are in my backyard and I go get a coffee, coffee cup out of my, make any kind of little sound. They are off. That little sound scares the tar out of them. And they're off. So deer symbolically represent people who are fearful, impulsive, and don't have a whole lot of wisdom. You guys are the deer crossing. You're the place for the orphans and the rebels to come find the water. Come find the place where they could get the scent off of them so their enemy cannot find them and hunt them down anymore. Come on. 
This is a place of refuge. A place where people could come because they haven't been so bright. They haven't made such good decisions. They've let the enemy deceive them. They've been full of fear. But they are running for the water because they need their scent destroyed so their enemy can't find them anymore. And you, Hartford, are that place, the deer crossing, the refuge for the rebel. That's you. Now, whatever the enemy is saying about you, that is over. Whatever the politicians say, whatever the devil says, that is not the word of the Lord. God's got your zip code. And he calls you a refuge for those rebels. Those people that keep bugging you, getting in your way, stopping what God wants to do. Shift the narrative. Don't be afraid of those people. Don't be running from them. Don't be praying against them. Start praying that they start showing up in here and getting saved and start working with you instead of against you. Hallelujah. That's a good word right there. Yes. Whoo. Okay. The land lovers of Hartford. I said that. Now, this is a word from the Lord, but I, I did some research so I could understand what was going on in this place before, so I could prepare myself to hear from the Lord for you guys. And I was, it was amazing to find out that 82% of the land in Hartford is undeveloped. I'm sure you all know that. 82% of your land is undeveloped. But 90% of it is owned by private owners. These are not national parks or places of preservation that some political group got a hold of and won't let nobody develop. This is privately owned property. You guys are land lovers around here. You are land lovers. Listen, God is a land lover. He's a land lover. He says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive them of their sin and do what? Heal their land. See, our land needs healed. We keep praying and interceding for people to get saved. Do you know why it's so hard for the people to get saved around here or anywhere in America? It's because the land is defiled. There is so much sin that has gone on that has been a sin against the land. Do you know that Americans signed 360 treaties with the American Indians and we did not keep one of them? That is an atrocity. 
That is defiled our land. And when you defile the land, you create portals for the demonic realm. When this country kicked God out and one woman was able to get prayer stopped in all of our schools, we defiled the land with that sin. And we opened portals in this nation that allowed demonic strongholds to come in. And they have set up their high places on our land. Now listen, intercessors, it's great that we pray for people. And it's great that we're praying for issues like abortion. But we have got to start dealing with the land. Because if we get the land healed... And those demons have to leave. Boy, it's going to be a lot easier for the people to get saved. So I bless you intercessors to step up into that place in a deeper way that God will begin to speak to you about land. Let me tell you a story. We have a team and we travel all around to pray over land. And a few years back, he led us to go pray over this specific bridge in a town that's about 40 minutes from us. And it was told to us this bridge was called Crybaby Bridge because it was supposedly haunted. And the legend was that some baby fell off the side of the bridge and died, and so you could hear the cries of the baby. Okay, and it's called Crybaby Bridge. So we go to this bridge to pray over it, and we get there. You could definitely hear the moaning and the groaning. But we had done our research about what had happened in that area, and it wasn't any baby that had gotten fallen off the side of the bridge. In that particular area, one of the treaties that was signed in Ohio was signed not far from where this bridge is. And the Americans signed this treaty with the Indians And they gave them each a wool blanket as a gift that was a part of the treaty. Except they had infected the blankets with cholera or some kind of disease. I can't remember exactly which one it was. Smallpox. And it killed them all. Now that was a common practice so that the Americans would not have to keep their treaties. That's That's horrible. And that happened in Ohio, for pretty close to where this bridge was. And so what we were hearing, the moaning and the groaning, were the, the Indians. Their blood was crying out from the earth, like God said to Cain, what have you done? Abel's blood is crying out. So we prayed over it, and we shifted the narrative, and we repented and cleansed that bridge, and it was demonic feeling. And man, after we prayed, we could feel the presence of God. I got on a website that this bridge is on for haunted places to go visit. So I got on the website. It's a national website. And I said on there, "Uh, hey, y'all, don't plan to come to this bridge anymore We're believers in Christ, and we dealt with the so-called ghosts on this bridge that were really just demons, and they're gone, so don't bother coming here. (laughs) Guys, come on. 
See, that's that's some pretty powerful stuff. That's that's what what this place can do. What what the intercessors in Vermont can do cuz you guys are land lovers around here. So, the land lovers of Hartford, Vermont are a refuge for the hectic world. You are a place of grace where the rebel is being restored and the orphan finds a home. The kingdom work of this land will be fulfilled by those who listen to the thoughts of God. They are being released in the darkness and carried out in the heavenly courts. So I declare that over Vermont and over each of you here. Hallelujah. All right, so back on our table, I have some additional information. Every year, it's so funny, when I went to Bible college 35 years ago as a freshman, I was on the plane heading to college, and the Lord said, I'm going to give you a theme for the year, and I want you to create a poster, hang it over your desk, and it's going to be the theme. It's going to be what I'm going to speak to you about all year. And I thought, oh, that's cool. Great. I did that. My theme was holiness is not an action. It's not an action. It's an attitude. And that was my theme. And he spoke to me all about my heart of holiness versus my behavior of holiness um, most of that year. Every year since then, around August, which was the time that I got my first one, I always got a new theme for the year. I did that for 20-some years, Kathy, thinking that I was just getting a theme in August because God was still on the whole school schedule thing. It wasn't until about six years ago that I found out about Rosh Hashanah and that the new year is celebrated in September and that I had been on God's Hebrew calendar for 20 years and didn't even know it. So now I'm in the know, and I understand, and I wait, and I expect to get my new theme in August. And so God is faithful, and every year he gives me a theme. This is, year, this, is this year's theme. I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life. That's the scripture verse, Deuteronomy 30:19. You can see right here, this here is what's called the tet. If you understand Hebrew letters, that is the number for nine. The letter tet uh, is also the number nine. And it's called a paradoxal number because it's kind of like that black spot or ink test thing that you take where they say, what do you see? You know, and when you look at it, any, you could see just about anything. People will see whatever they see, right? So this number is one of those, it's called a paradoxal, and you could either see a coiled up snake, this would be the head of the snake, and here's its coiled body, or you could see the hidden treasure of a pregnant woman. All depends on how you see it. So God has set before us life and death. He has set before us the snake and the hidden treasure. He has set before us both blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life. See, it's up to us. 
It's up to us to see the hidden treasure in the darkness. And so this year, the theme is shift the narrative. Now, my son is an artist, and he drew this for me to represent this year. Here you see the Trinity. And when you are looking through the eye of the Trinity, you see the beauty of God. And when you aren't, you don't. So it is time for us to shift the narrative. An orphan is somebody who loves God, but every time things don't go the way they think they should, they feel abandoned by God. They're angry at God. They walk away from God because they don't think God blesses them like he blesses everybody else. See, they are choosing the death. They're choosing the cursing versus the blessing. A child of God, a a daughter a son of the king, the bride of Christ, see, we have our crown on. And we see the hidden treasure. We choose the blessing. We choose the life. And so this year, it's about shifting the narrative. So, hello. Help me. You might need to stay up there. I'm sorry. I just put new batteries in this thing too, so. Huh. Well. I'm very visual. I'm a seer, and so I preach with visual pictures. I I just love it. But I can do this message without that if it's going to mess it up. All right, so... I was brought here to talk to you guys about the courts. And I'm going to do this in two parts. I am speaking again tomorrow night. Tonight, I just want to share just briefly with you what our heart, the position and the posture of our heart needs to be in order to accomplish what we want to accomplish in the courts. One of the things that we're noticing at the Unleashed Healing Center is we have people who are calling us all the time uh, my daughter Carly feeds those calls. She is the one who speaks to those folks that call in. And <clears throat> the concept of the courts is a very powerful one. It's it's a transition. It's a shifting of the narrative that is taking place for us, where we are shifting away from a militant prayer warrior servant discipleship type thought process in our prayer life into a bridal position. See, God, the concept of the courts, for a lot of us, if you, if you are an intercessor, you've been praying against generational curses and, you know, all of those things. <clears throat> you've been battling demonic spirits and all of those things. So the courts are still handling that stuff. So what's shifted, the, the, the narrative that is shifting is the position that we're taking. See, a lot of us as intercessors, when this shift was transpiring in my, my life, I thought I was losing my passion. 
See, because I was a militant prophet and I was going after the devil. Whether you liked it or not, you were getting deliverance if I was around. And I learned the hard way that you don't get up in somebody's face, Kathy, that has a spirit of fear and start yelling for the spirit of fear to leave. Because get what? They become very afraid of you. Anybody else learn that kind of stuff the hard way? You know, I was into that combative, beat them up, call the demon out, smash him, put him on the floor. You know, I, I man, that was a, that, we weren't praying unless we were tearing up some carpet. You know, one day my pastor came into the sanctuary, and I was in there praying, and the Holy Spirit told me to get, remember back in the, Back in the day, I don't know that we still use them now, but, you know, the, the slain cloths, we used to call them, or the courtesy cloths. When people would get slain in the spirit, you lay them on them. So I took one of those off our platform, and the Lord told me to start acting like a bullfighter. And I'm going, I'm all over the sanctuary acting like a bullfighter. And my pastor, I turned around, and he's standing in the doorway. <laughs> What are you doing, girl? Okay, so I was into all that. And then one day, the Holy Spirit spoke to me, and he said, I want to give you this scepter. Oh, yeah, cool. He goes, you are becoming my bride, and you are stepping up to a greater place of authority. Yeah, I am. I am the bride of Christ. Yes! He said, do you want the scepter? I said, yeah. He goes, okay, give me your sword. I was like, what? No, that couldn't have been God. Oh, this is just a trick of the enemy to try to get me to back down. No way, devil. God said, no. I said, this is the sword of the Spirit. He goes, no, it ain't. And I went through this transition where the Lord, like prayer just started becoming easier. Like all I wanted to do was worship. Because I was seeing things from the throne room instead of up to the throne room. You know, how many of you ever heard of uh, Ruth Heflin? You all know Ruth Heflin? So one time I heard Ruth Heflin speaking. Uh, This was during the Brownsville revival. and She gets up to the podium she just starts whistling doesn't say a word she's all dressed up she's got all these diamonds on and this real fancy dress and she's just standing there and I'm telling you what the power of God fell in that place intercessors are screaming on the floor. I was like, what on earth is going on? And the Lord said, you need her anointing. I was like, okay. So I chased her down all week. I tried to get her to get her to touch me, lay hands on me, impart something to me. I couldn't get the lady. She was surrounded constantly. You know, I couldn't get to her the whole week, the last day. I I had to go to the bathroom in the middle of the service. So I get up. 
Now, I'm expecting to see this long line because if you went to the Brownsville Revival, there were thousands of people there. So I get in this, I go, and here there's no line. I'm like, whoa, there's no line. Cool. I walk into the restroom, and the only person in the restroom, only other woman in the restroom, Ruth Heflin. And she's standing there washing her hands at the sink. I said, Sister Ruth, I said, I have been trying to get you to pray for me all week. I said, Jesus spoke to me and said, you were supposed to give me your anointing. The lady looked at me. She didn't say a thing, Kathy. She went like this. She just touched me in my head. I'm not kidding you. I flew back around four feet and landed against the wall and slid down the wall and couldn't get up. I heard her finish washing her hands crumble up the paper and walk out of the restroom. That was it. But Ruth Heflin went home to be with the Lord six months later. So I'm a little scared. Don't anybody ask me to give you my anointing tonight. But I'm going to tell you what I learned about Ruth, and I'm I'm believing God that I'm walking in a similar anointing. Is she talked about the faith realm versus the glory realm, and the faith realm is all this effort, you know, it's just your you're just plowing through everything demonic, and it's it's all this effort and. All these programs to save people and hot dog sales and, you know, anything we could do to get one person saved. All this work, work, work. Thousands of dollars and one person comes to Christ. I am tired. See, that's the faith realm. And I believe God honors every bit of it. But there is an upgrade to where it's not going to require all that. You know the anointing I've been praying for was, is, is um, Charles Finney. Charles Finney walked into a chicken factory one day because his wife sent him to go buy a chicken for dinner. That's it! He walks into the chicken factory minding his own business trying to buy the chicken and the whole place falls out under the power of God and they all get saved. And Charles Finney takes his chicken and goes home and has dinner. Hey, look, I, this, anybody else looking for that? But listen, when you make that, you start to shift that narrative. And you're used to all that work and all that faith and all that laboring. And God says, I've got an upgrade. Give me your sword and I'll give you the scepter. That's That's a big paradigm shift. I remember telling my husband, I feel like I'm losing my passion for God. Let's go. Uh, oh, oh. Carly, can you run up there and help him out? I should have asked you to do it in the first place. All right. What's that? <laughs> okay, so 
This poster is out there. Uh, it's it's just a dollar just to pay for the ink. It's on cardboard. I frame it. This is what I do with my theme every year. So if you would like that, it's out there. Along with that is free. I made some copies of the detail of what I believe the Holy Spirit is saying, the shifting the narrative is about this year. That first 40 people get it is free. I made 40 copies. If somebody wants to take a copy and make more, do do whatever you want with it. It's yours. So... Anyway, that's, that's what God is wanting to do. And before we can have success in the courts, we have to make this transition from being the servant warrior to the queen, the bride. Okay? It's an upgrade in the way we approach God. And what we're finding at the Unleashed Healing Center is that people are thinking this thing is a quick fix. Like if nothing else has worked and you've done all this prayer and you've interceded and you've cast out demons and you've broken generational curses and you've broken your agreement with lies and you've broken your agreement with soul ties and if none of it's working, maybe this court thing will work. And the reality of it is it really does. It really does. I got introduced to the courts about six years ago. My, uh, one of the women in our church had gotten married. It was such a deceptive thing. Her husband went back on drugs on their honeymoon. It was like just this horrendous thing. Uh, we had tried everything. He, we had tried everything, everything I knew how to do. Thank you. We got a new one of these? All right, thank you. I, I, we had tried everything, and, and none, of, none of what I knew how to do worked. And so I told this girl, look, I'm at a loss. I, I really think you have grounds to divorce, and I never suggest that, but this guy's not going to get it. I've never given up like that. But I was just at a place where I was like, yeah, this ain't. You, you need to divorce him. And then I heard about this courts thing. Like, just, of course, like God is, out of the blue, you know, somebody sends me this book. Hey, you need to read this book, right? I'm like, okay, I'll read this book. So I call this woman up. I said, okay, this is our last-ditch effort. Now, I'm a seer, so we go into the courts. I take this woman to the courts, and I see her and her husband standing before the throne. And he looks like a bottle of mustard. Don't ask me. I, you know, I get these weird things. So they're standing there, and he looks like a bottle of mustard. So I tell this girl, you're standing next to a bottle of mustard. She's like, she knows me by now. She's like, okay, what's that mean? So we Googled it. You know, Google is a great tool, by the way. You know, now there's a lot of wacko stuff out there. I could give you some really good websites, but it is a good tool for getting some interpretations if you're a seer. So I... Google what is the spiritual meaning of mustard, and believe it or not, it means indecisiveness. So then I hear, so I said, Michelle, it means indecisiveness. And she just rolled her eyes. She said, oh, yeah, no doubt. So I said, the father is asking you, because I heard the father say to her, do you want to be married to this man? And she said, no, I do not. This is not the man I married. I did not marry this man, and no, I do not want to be married to this man. So the father said, 
she doesn't want to be married to you. What do you want? And he said, I want to be able to make the right decision. And when he said that, he turned back into himself. So now the father says to her, if he's going to be the man you married, will you stay married to him? And she said, yes. And so the father called the verdict that he will be the man you married and this marriage will work. Now, she had blocked him, because I told her to block him. Block him, don't answer his calls. He's, he's dangerous. He's, you know, he, yeah, he was not, yeah. I'm not going to get into all the details, but she was justified in leaving this guy. And <clears throat> she blocked him. And she hadn't talked to him in months. And he was back on drugs, living in the streets, doing all kinds of craziness. And she says to me, well, now what do I do? I said, well... I said, we heard the verdict, so we got to come in alignment with that. I said, so unblock them. I said, this is on God, not you. You know, and it's he's the one that needs to make the decision, not you. So, But you need to at least unblock him on your phone because this will give him the opportunity. Literally, within an hour of her unblocking him, he's got her on the phone, weeping, crying, saying, I'll do whatever it takes he comes back into counseling. Now, it's been a long haul, but he's off drugs and has been clean for a year and a half. Yes, awesome. It does work, but it's not a quick fix. See, we're finding that going to the courts is working in our ministry profoundly because the people we take through the, the healing center are already at a place of get dealing with their brokenness. They're, they're, they've already repented. They're already stepping up into the level of authority of the bride. Our ministry is called Real Living Ministries, and real is an acronym for responding entirely to the affections of the Lord. My life's calling is to teach people how to stay connected with God when life is dark, it's hard, and your first instinct is to want to walk away or let go because you, it's too hard. So everyone that goes to our ministry has learned that. You know what I mean? They're not coming into the courts positioned poorly. And that's what we're finding. For people who are trying to learn this technique of the courts, but they have not come into that place of alignment positionally with God, it's, it's not working, and sometimes it's doing damage. So that's why tonight, before I talk to you tomorrow, and I want to encourage you, invite some friends, because I do want you to, to have an impartation of what's going on with the courts, because it is a very powerful thing. It is a shift in the narrative. But positionally, it's important that we understand how to approach the courts first. So it's time to shift the narrative from the battlefield to the courtroom. It's a bridal upgrade. It's the scepter instead of the sword. It's not the sword of war which is connected to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. How many of you know that we still eat the apple every day? 
In fact, for a lot of us, you're carrying the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in your hand every day. Look at the apple on the back with the bite out of it. (laughs) Okay. If we approach God from the position of judge, because we come into his presence saying, we've already eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We've already decided this is a bad thing. You need to fix it, God. We need you to give us a verdict because this needs fixed. This is a bad thing. See, that's not us choosing life. That's us choosing the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You understand God never wanted us to have the ability to discern anything good or bad. He wanted us to be able to find the life in everything. But here's what happens. If I eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, if I say, this is a bad thing, I lost my job, that's bad, how could a loving God let me experience this bad thing? See, that's me eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Here's what happens. The only way you justify that is God must not be the good God he says he is, or I must be really bad. So either I lose perspective on who I am, or we lose perspective on who God is when we eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and we deem our circumstance, and we judge it, and we say, that can't change. There's no way it could be a good thing that I lost my job. That's bad. God, I need you to fix this. Half the time, God's going, you got no idea what I went through to orchestrate this amazing blessing because I want to be something for you and you want me to fix this? See, the shift in our narrative is that we have to stop eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When something bad happens, don't judge it bad. Or when something good happens, oh, be careful there. (laughs) We're not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We need to find God in everything. What is the life? What are you trying to be for me in this moment? Or what are you trying to do through me in this moment? What can I experience here that will upgrade me in my intimacy level with God or in my understanding of what is written in my books? See, the courts are all about what is written in our books, and tomorrow we're going to talk about that. We all agreed before you were put into your womb. The Bible says God knew Jeremiah Before he was put in his mother's womb, he had called him and ordained him. And when the appointed time came, God said, don't you dare let anybody look down on you because of your youth. See, we were all appointed to something before we were formed in our mother's womb. It's already written in the books. We are on a journey Back to the future. See, we are all on a journey to return to Eden. Return back 
to what it was we agreed to be and do before life shifted the narrative in the wrong direction. Nothing you've experienced in life is a counterfeit, a failure, a distraction, a burden, none of it, unless you judge it that way. Prophets. Prophets don't see stepping stones. Everything is a setback. See, because when you prophesy, you are speaking what heaven says. But when the disciples asked Jesus, how do we pray? He says, you pray this way. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, here's our dilemma. Heaven says, this is the truth. And earth says, no it ain't. And we're caught in the two worlds, between the two worlds. And it becomes our role to declare what heaven says to be true, regardless of what earth is saying about that. See, if the earth never does it, never sees it, it doesn't make it any less true from heaven's perspective. And our citizenship is not here. All you have to do is read Hebrews 11, the hall of faith. Most of those people are mentioned for their great faith and they all died having not seen one thing they were believing for. Because it's not about good and evil. We need to stop eating from the tree of life. It's not about the results. Evangelists, it's not even really about how many souls get saved. We're not the Savior. Everything that's going on is for one purpose, that I experience God in some greater dimension while I partner with him in my destiny. It's all about him. It's not about us, what we do, what we don't do, what other people do, what they don't do, what the Democrats say, what the Republicans say. Come on! It's so much bigger than that. We've got to stop eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We have got to position ourselves at the tree of life because that is the narrative that needs to shift. We need to stop saying, God, we need a verdict that fixes all this darkness. No, we need to say, God, where are you in the darkness? Because the Bible says to God, darkness is light. It's all the same thing to him. He is light. And there is no darkness where he is. Hmm. There's life in everything. It is both God who creates good and evil, cursing and blessing. Therefore, choose the life. See, that's the narrative shift. And if the courts are going to work, we've got to see the hidden treasure in the darkness. I'm holding this one. We've got to choose life. And I know I've been speaking for a long time. Queen Esther asked the king with boldness, See, it is such 
a time as this. This is the position in the courts, like Queen Esther. But listen, Queen Esther took a long time to prepare herself to get to the king. She didn't just march all in there. Hey, dude. She took a long time to prepare herself to enter the court of the king. See, it's, it's all about what's going on inside of our hearts that causes the courts to be so powerful. It's the position that we carry or don't carry that makes the difference when we come into the courts. Hebrews says, so let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and find grace to help us in times of need. Esther came boldly to the throne room, expecting her king to act on her behalf. We must come boldly, but we must prepare ourselves first. Listen, there's a big difference between presumption and faith. It is not faith and faith. That's what the whole New Age movement is about. Faith and faith. If I quote my destiny enough, you know that there are Christians who quote the Word of God like a mantra? That's New Age. It's, it's not about having a relationship with the book, you guys. Jesus Christ is the Word. It's about having a living relationship with Him. It's not about me using His Word against Him to demand Him to do what His Word says. It's not faith in faith. It's faith in God. His sovereignty, His goodness, that can never come off the, the table. See, we get confused because the goodness of God often comes off the table in our negotiations. Well, maybe God isn't good like He says He is. How could he have let this happen? Where's God? Didn't I pray enough? Didn't I read my Bible enough? Maybe he cursed me because I didn't come to church twice this month. The goodness of God can never come off the table. See, that's how we choose life. He is good. He is always good. That means there is something good about my situation. There is something of life. There is something empowering. There is something life-changing. I need to shift my narrative. See, I need to let God show me what the life is in all my situation. We must prepare to enter the courts in order to shift from the battlefield to the courts. We must receive the bridal upgrade. We need to receive the scepter and let go of the sword of war. We need to choose life 
And we need to remember that it's faith in God and not faith in faith. When we position ourselves and we come into the courts this way, then we can deal with the darkness courtside. And that's what we're going to talk about tomorrow. Dealing with the darkness courtside. Hallelujah. Ooh. So Holy Spirit, we invite you to shift the narrative in our hearts. Lord, help us to lay down the sword of war. All the arguing, the fighting, the bickering over what is right and what is wrong. Lord, you you never asked us to defend you. You asked us to represent you. So forgive us for the times that we have taken up the sword in defense of who you are. We need to love like you love. We need to shift the narrative and choose the life. We need to mind our words and speak life and not death. Forgive us, Lord, for the times that we have become a witness for Satan and his accusations against others. Forgive us, Lord, for the times that we've agreed with the devil's accusations when he brings those things in our hearts and in our minds about the body of Christ, about our pastors, about our family. Lord, forgive us. Help us to choose life. Thank you, Lord. So I feel like I just need to conclude tonight with telling you my experience when I went to the courts the first time. And I I just feel like the Lord wants me to share this as an impartation that will prepare us to receive what he has for us when we talk about dealing with the darkness in the courts tomorrow. And I I just want to ask you to take this before the Lord and, and allow him to examine your own hearts in preparation for tomorrow. Um, Robert Henderson is a very good friend of mine. I knew Robert before he was Robert Henderson. (laughs) Um, I told you I I got his book on the courts when he first wrote it, and he is involved with uh, a prayer network that I'm also involved with, so I had had the opportunity to meet him pretty quickly after I read the book. Um, And we invited him to come to our ministry um, and speak Now he speaks to rooms of thousands of people. Um, 
But I had this conversation with Robert when we were talking about the courts um, because I had had this encounter with the Lord the first time I went to the courts. And and if you're not familiar with the concept, you, you, you come into the court, into the throne of grace, and you're coming before the court just like if you were in a courtroom setting. And um, the enemy is there, and he bring he's bringing his accusations against us to the courts. And Robert teaches that we need to come into the courts and we need to repent for whatever accusations the enemy might be bringing. So I came into the courts and and I did that and I repented. I was hearing all these accusations coming out of his mouth and I was taking it repenting if I needed to repent, repenting for my bloodline. But I noticed he's sitting at this table and he's got like a Mary Poppins bag. You know Mary Poppins bag? She could pull anything out of it. You know, it's this tiny little bag. He's sitting there with this tiny little bag and he just keeps yanking all this stuff against me out of this book. And I finally looked at the father and I said, Father, what's the bag? Because, see, I don't really want to have to keep coming here and repent every time my accuser brings something before the courts. I said, how do I get that bag so he can't keep doing this to me? He said, what do you, what do you think the bag is? I said, I don't know. That's all. I'm asking you. <laughs> he said, the bag is the law. He said, anytime you're still living by the law, you have to answer to every accusation of the law. I said, well, Father, I live under grace. He goes, oh, really? Then how come he's got that bag? I said, oh. He said, tell me where you're still under the law. Oh, Really? I said, okay, I'm fat. He said, what? I said, yeah, I, 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 I should be eating healthier and I should be working out and I should lose weight. And, you know, this isn't being a good witness for you. This is a weakness and I... I sh- Okay. You're choosing the law instead of grace, right? Then every time you come into the courts, you have to answer to him because he will keep that bag until you decide to come under grace. See, grace and the law don't mix. You choose one or the other. And if we live under the law... We have to answer to every bit of the law. You you can't say, well, I live under grace for most everything, but this particular area, well, you know. So tonight, as you prepare to learn about how to deal with the darkness courtside, go to the Father. 
Ask him to show you that bag. Ask him to show you if there's any place in which you still live under the law. If you, and I'll give you a hint, if you deal with any level of depression, anxiety, guilt, shame, there's probably law involved with that. So just a few areas to let the Holy Spirit examine your heart. Because I don't know about you, but I don't want to keep coming to the courts to answer to my accuser. I want that bag so he can't keep doing this. Right? You all with me on that? All right. So I bless you then to do that, to go before the Father tonight, to ask him to show you if you are under the law in any area of your life. And I bless you in Jesus' name to be free from any guilt, any shame. It's all the power of the law, the Bible says. Right? To be free from anxiety, fear. Depression is anger turned inward. I, I, I release you from depression, from anger turned inward. I bless you to walk in the path of righteousness because Jesus is your righteousness, not by the law. Amen. All right. Have a good night. <laughs> Hallelujah.